It's the Smart Driving Cars podcast. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the faculty chair of autonomous vehicle engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Good morning, Fred. And joining us in this edition is Kristen Kolodge, executive director of driver interaction and human machine interface research at JD Power. Thanks for being with us, Kristen. Yeah, I appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Before we get into some of the details in your latest study, Kristen, Tell us a bit about the work that you're doing at J.D. Power. Uh, the company's been around for more than 50 years, best known for doing customer satisfaction rankings of cars. We see them all over the TV commercials. Absolutely. So I have the pleasure of looking at how customers are interacting with their, the vehicles and the technology on their vehicles. So we've seen for a number of years where the quality of the vehicles has been improving in nearly all areas with the exception of technology itself. And this is where consumers are finding technology in general exciting but confusing to use and really having what we would call usability issues. And so um, my role is to essentially start to translate what is it that the consumer wants in their user experience and help translate that back to the automotive industry to improve their experience. So it's, an extremely fun position and certainly has a nice tie into where do we want to go with mobility in the future because so much is going to be reticent on consumers' experience with technology today. Not only fun, but also, of course, fundamentally valuable because in, in a sense, uh, what's the objective of all the technology is to make somebody's life better and uh, improve their quality of life and their happiness. So, um, uh, it's a perfect interface. Absolutely. I mean, and that's, I think, the the ultimate question is, you know, consumers have that expectation that it's intended to make their lives better. And so they're being quite scrutinous and providing their feedback if it that is actually a reality. And of course, they should be, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Well, taking a look at your latest study, Kristen, it, it's headlined, Customer Demand for Safety Technology Threatened by overbearing alerts. So tell us what you looked at and what some of the findings are. So we, um, our latest study is called a Tech Experience Index Study focused on the United States market. And this was studying 2019 model year vehicles. So these are the latest and greatest vehicles, the latest and greatest technology. We're studying um, technology interactions with customers um, across a number of different areas. But one of the areas that really stands out is these advanced driver assistance technologies. Um, we call them ADAS, that type of acronym here in the, in the automotive industry, but essentially these are intended to have a safety um, undertone to them. And there are several technologies that um, are coming across as being overbearing and really threatening the consumer's desire to want that technology again. And these technologies quickly have a tie into the future of automated driving. So one of the um, prime examples of these of this um, technology exhibiting that type of behavior is lane keeping and centering. So this is the technology intending to help maintain, you know, help the driver maintain their lane position, um, sometimes through steering control, sometimes through an audible type of alert or vibrational alert to be able to let them know um, to 
make some steering corrections to maintain their lane position. But what we're seeing is that um, the frequency of that type of alert, the accuracy of that type of alert, we see nearly a quarter of the people calling that system annoying or bothersome. And as a result, we see that nearly 30% of customers are temporarily turning that system off. So depending on the situation they're in, they're just, or their frustration level, they're turning that system off as a result. And as you said, there are different ways of implementing it. What are some of the methods or, or ways of doing it that uh, seem to be more acceptable maybe? Um, one of the areas or one of the techniques that we're seeing um, a bit more acceptable is uh, the vibration alert is appreciated by consumers versus an audible alert that lets everyone in the vehicle know that, you know, essentially that, that the driver is or has um, left their lane. So that's one technique. The steering system itself, um, we're seeing different levels of um, execution in how the steering is um, notifying the driver. So the level of automatic steering to, to maintain that lane position. We see some systems are a bit more aggressive in that steering correction and other systems are much more subtle and um, essentially participating more as a partner to the driver. And that system that's participating more as a partner is being more appreciated by consumers as a result. You know, I've, I've sort of had, uh, wondered always about uh, warning systems. Um, uh, and it's, to me, it's, it's more that, the, that the, it's the quality of the warning system, not the warnings. If the system is really good and it's warming, warning that there's a wolf out there when there's a wolf, uh, then everybody appreciates it. But the problem is, is the false alarms is that there's no wolf out there and the thing is claiming wolf. And, and so it, it, it's really, to me, it's, it's, it's the quality of the fundamental system that's, that's doing this. Uh, in a lane departure, there are situations in which uh, it's okay to cheat a little on, on, on the lanes that, you know, there, there's nothing there. Why, so what? Uh, but when, when it is, uh, when it is, uh, a problem, then that's when the warning should be, should be, uh, given. And so the system needs to be smart enough to know, oh, it doesn't really matter in this situation or yes, oh my goodness, uh, do something about it. And in fact, if it, if it really knows what's going on, then it should actually do it. What's the warning about? And. And so this is, uh, you know, almost a philosophical issue on, on, on the approach here. Um, uh, some of the systems that have been put out there are really very naive and, and, and uh, aren't developed well enough to, to even deserve to be in there. And so, of course, consumers should, should say, hey, uh, this one's no good. Uh, but, uh, but for good ones, um, then, then the, the customer is going to say, oh my goodness, thank you for, for warning me. Uh, what's your thought on, on all that aspect of it? I, I absolutely would agree. I'm there, you know, we see the consumers recognizing this degree of accuracy or perceived inaccuracy of the system. Right. And, um, in, in many cases, it's the sensitivity of the architecture of the system itself, 
Um, in other cases, it's the strategy that the automaker has taken right. um, with respect to, you know, being a bit more conservative or a bit more liberal. But the use cases are absolutely valid. I mean, in some cases, if I'm the only car around, I really want to be forced to use my blinker every time to change a lane. So some can argue that's being lazy. Others can argue, you know, that's being a bit, you know, the system's being a bit of a blinker bully. Other use cases, if I'm traveling next to a semi truck, I might want to hug one side of the lane. Absolutely. To be able to get more distance. If I'm trying to avoid an obstacle and crossing a lane. So I, I would completely agree with your statement that, you know, in, in many cases, we, we are intentionally, um, you know, offending the system, but we have good reason to do so. And the system in many cases is fighting against that as a result. And, right. and I so, think the, that's, so the system should be smart enough to, to, to know that and, and to do that. And therefore, you know, I, I put it back on the automakers, you know, improve your systems. Because yes. if I turn it off, my goodness, uh, uh, then the one time when the wolf is there, my goodness, uh, I'm not warned and I needed that. And and so that's that's just being uh, irresponsible from the automaker side of it. So they, they need to have it pointed out that, that hey, um, uh, improve your game. What about the, the concept of, of being able to turn it off at all? As these systems are improved, and maybe you talk about some other safety technology as well, should consumers have the ability to say, I don't want that and turn it off? I think that's a really good question. Um, and, and certainly one that I, I know are, are the manufacturers are having deep conversations internally with their engineering and their uh, legal teams about that type of strategy of should it be turned off or not? Because these systems do have the underlying tone of they're there to improve consumer safety. Absolutely. That, that is, and that, that differentiates them from the, from the car plays and the Google plays and so on that deal with entertainment and comfort and convenience. These have to do not only with the driver's safety, but everybody else's safety all around the driver. Absolutely. And, and when we ask consumers whether they think, you know, these technologies, you know, especially the lane keeping and centering, if this is a safety or a convenience technology or both, the majority are saying it's viewed as a safety technology. So they themselves view it as such. Yeah. Interesting. So going forward with this, uh, you, obviously, you're going to continue to study it. Um, and the kind of response that you get from automakers, I mean, you, you care, J.D. Power obviously carries a lot of weight. So do you feel like you, you might have an impact when you come out with a study like this and car makers are looking at it and saying, you know what, we've got to change something? Yes, we, um, you know, I, certainly the J.D. Power brand does carry a lot of weight. Um, mm -hmm. But these safety technologies in and of themselves, consume, the manufacturers are paying a significant amount of attention to how are these being received because these really these technologies really are the building blocks to the future of automated driving and we know how much the manufacturers are spending in resources and technology development and their commitment towards getting to an automated future and so they do recognize the um, importance of consumers having a very positive experience with these technologies because that's going to um, definitely influence the trajectory of their acceptance for automated driving in the long run. 
Well, we have some other stories to touch on, and Kristen, you're you're welcome to jump in wherever you would like to. Uh, yes, and, please. <laughs> thank you. And from the Smart Driving Car newsletter, uh, first, the NTSB has released its findings about a Tesla Model S crash in Southern California. This was back in January. Uh, autopilot was engaged. The vehicle crashed into a fire truck that was parked in an HOV lane. The driver fortunately survived. Lots of info here, Alan. Yes, lots of info, and it really uh, exposes the fundamental problem with uh, both uh, the uh, intelligent cruise control as well as the uh, as the automated emergency braking system in at least Tesla's uh, a system at that particular time and really uh, probably in what everybody else has in their cars. Uh, The ability to deal with objects that are stationary in the lane ahead, Um, just these systems uh, just can't handle it and uh, or don't handle it. And it's it's so obvious in the data. Uh, Here we have this Tesla following an SUV and uh, the uh, autom- uh, the intelligent cruise control is just working beautifully. They they have the you know 15 minutes worth of data prior to the prior to the crash, and then the thing is uh, it's on the 405, and it must have been just you know typical 405 traffic, uh, stop and go and, and moving along and whatever. And the thing is just uh, keeping pace perfectly, uh, going down the. It happens to be the HOV lane. Uh, And then all all of a sudden, the SUV uh, decides to change lane and exit uh, the HOV lane. So here we have the car, the Tesla, in a nice vehicle follower mode and intelligent cruise control. Been working beautifully for, you know, 15 minutes or whatever. And now the car in front of it is no longer there. And so the system goes out there and looks for a car uh, in the lane ahead to follow and doesn't find one. And you can probably see the uh, if, if they uh, showed the, the code, there's a line of code someplace looking for an object in the lane ahead that's traveling at a speed that's not equal to the speed of my vehicle. Uh, that would be a, a vehicle that is moving. Uh, any if my approach velocity to an object is equal to my current velocity, then that means that's a stationary object, and it disregards those things. And so, of course, it, it must have seen, you know, the three seconds uh, that transpired between the, the SUV uh, 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 going out of the lane and it crashing. It had to have seen. Uh, that there was a stationary object ahead, but it disregarded it. So, so it has. A, you can even see the chart of of where's the vehicle ahead that 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 it 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 saturates to maximum distance. And what does the automated or uh, the intelligent cruise control do? Say, hey, there's no vehicle to follow ahead. The road ahead is clear. Let me accelerate. Uh, from my current speed and up to the, the my target speed, which is normal operation, and it starts accelerating from I guess the 20 or so miles an hour uh, that it was traveling uh, when it when the SUV departed uh, to uh, increase its speed even the you know three or four or five miles per hour before three seconds later, boom, it crashes into the 
into the uh, uh, fire truck that's stationary there. It's a fundamental problem in the logic stack and in the computation stack of these systems. And the automated emergency braking system uh, had three seconds uh, the, to uh, basically figure out that there is a stationary object or an object that had to brake, and it didn't do anything until 490 milliseconds before the crash. And of course, uh, nothing happened, uh, no deceleration. Uh, that wasn't enough time to stop or even uh, begin to decelerate and boom. So, you know, this is, this is in your face, fundamental um, um, data uh, showing that the, that the design of these systems, there's a fundamental flaw. And I'm surprised that the NTSB hasn't come out there and said, hey, guys, you know, you got to redesign this. Or you have to become better at being able to determine if there's a stationary object in the lane ahead. Uh, have the the false alarm rate associated with that be essentially negligible uh, because my goodness is once traveling down the road ahead when when these sensors see stationary objects all over the place uh, stationary objects or telephone poles trees and so on that are the side of the road that, that basically because of of the air distribution might it every once in a while uh, be shown to be in the lane ahead. So certainly uh, one has to have filters in there to disregard those. But then there are the overpasses and the signs and so on. And are those overpasses really high enough so that you can pass under them? Or is that overpass really the, the body of a tractor trailer that's, uh, that's, standing, that's sitting there um, uh, uh, along its on the side of the road, and and your Joshua Brown in the in the Florida crash. So you know there, there's fundamental data in that release uh, a couple of days ago, and uh, we, I link it in the Smart Driving Cars uh, newsletter, and people should take a look at the data and the charts, and and uh, maybe I'm screwed up, and I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, Alan, the obviously the this has to get fixed. But obviously it has to get fixed. The, you know, the, the false alarm rate associated with stationary objects in the lane ahead has to get fixed. Okay. It has to be essentially, you know, so close to zero. Uh, otherwise these things are going to get spooked. Yeah. And, and so because they get spooked, guess what? People turn them off. It's not that people are turning them off. The people who write the code that goes into the system turns them off and oh my goodness and, and and when it happens to be a fire truck it's not it's very rarely a fire truck but this situation of which i'm in a vehicle following somebody else and my system is working in a car following mode and it's it's acquired that vehicle it knows it it's been watching it it watches it you know 30 times a second or whatever for the past who knows what boom and that vehicle moves away. Now it has to search for the next one. The one, you know, there was another vehicle maybe ahead of that. It has to acquire that. If that vehicle's moving, these systems work beautifully, okay? If that vehicle has stopped, that's where the problem is. So at least we know where the problem is. We now have to fix it. And in the interim, I was going to say, uh... Does Tesla need to do a better job? And this even goes back to what Kristen was saying with with other safety features, 
the lane departure warnings. Do people, do drivers need to be taught by the automakers, uh, Tesla and others, what these vehicles can do, what they can't do, what the dangers are? There needs to be more driver training? Well, there needs to be more driver training. And, and Kristen, uh, she, jump in, please. J- J.D. Power may, maybe can do something. A lot of people... Every one of these manuals, I, I imagine every salesperson, every person that sells one of these and talks about it says, you have to pay attention. Nobody's saying you can go out in these vehicles and, of course, just zone out and text out or do whatever out or sleep or any of this stuff. You've got to pay attention because you are the, you are the, the, you're the responsible entity. <laughs> because in the end, guess what? It's your butt. But not only is it your butt, it's everybody else's butt around you. And, and you've got to pay attention. So n- none of these systems that are out there are good enough for you to stop paying attention. And so, you know, the, this driver was only going 20-some miles an hour, okay? He had three seconds to be able to, uh, you know, after that, that SUV moved out of the way to see the fire truck, Okay. And the fire truck apparently had, you know, uh, uh, lights going on and all that stuff. Who knows what this guy was doing? Of course, the guy says, hey, I was doing nothing. I was drinking coffee and having my donut or something. Well, of course, <laughs> not, you know, whatever. You, and people can read the rest of the, the report to find out about what the driver was or wasn't doing. But, you know, drivers have to continue to pay attention and they're the they're the uh, final line of, of defense and safety uh that have to come in and save the day if the systems don't work but i think that level of consumer understandability that that is the prime argument at this point in time i mean in in some cases these systems are so complex as well as um, not standardized across manufacturers. So even if someone does have prior experience with this type, this capability of system, the likelihood that it's a similar um, in context and capability is is very small. So I think this element of consumer understandability is a really big issue for the industry, partly because the names that we've associated to these systems create a a sense of greater capability than the systems actually are. So we're fighting against misperceptions about the capability of the system. And I feel like it it seems as if the talk track is leaning more towards this element of consumers need to pay attention, but backtrack, you know, 12, 18 months ago, and we were propping up how capable these systems were. And in many cases, much of it was marketing speak and not necessarily these nuanced situations. So I, I feel like we're we're trying to clean up our mess that we've created ourselves <laughs> at this point I'm in glad time. you're saying that because if I said that, they'd yell at me. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> but but it's true. And I think, you know, we, we just have to, we have to think of what we're, what we're doing and saying and promoting now, what that implication is long-term because the systems are not self-driving systems at this point in time, right? That's not the level of capability that they have. And so the driver does need to be paying attention, right? They are, you know, this is an assistive technology and we just have to make sure that it's extremely well understood because the more situations like this, California incident and the other incidents that we've had over the course of the last um, couple of years, the more that these 
um, aggregate, the, the more consumers are going to say, is this technology even worth it, right? Is it more risky to use than to actually, you know, just walk away from it altogether? Excellent. And, and obviously there's a, there've been lots of, of press releases about uh, surveys that have been done about whether or not consumers are going to trust automated vehicles, et cetera. There's a lot of work to do there, but uh, there's a, there's a, there's a real problem. Moving on here. NVIDIA with an online series of videos is out uh, showing the capabilities of its drive AV software. You've had a look, Alan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, and NVIDIA is putting out there, you know, some of their, some of their uh, systems and they have, but of course uh, I, I put in there that, that uh, in fact, the NVIDIA system, uh, it looks like it has the same problems that the Tesla system has with respect to stationary objects. Uh, so yes, it's nice to have that stuff out there, but um, hey, we've got, we've got some fundamental problems to fix. Right, and, and talking about Tesla, once again, we forgot to mention Elon Musk has, has launched Tesla Insurance. This is aimed at providing better rates uh, to Tesla owners, and it's first available in California. Well, of course, I, you know, I think this is something we've talked about in the past. I think it's brilliant of Elon to do that because he knows the capabilities of his vehicles and he has all the data associated with it. And therefore, he should be able to uh, um, determine what the... Uh, 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 expected liability exposure is of his vehicles and therefore should be able to price it better than anybody than anybody else who's sort of waiting for data that's coming from the uh, from the general data sources so uh, um, uh, I think that um, uh, looking at the, how the normal insurance industry would react in terms of of maybe uh, you know uh, making it uh, uh, not not taking that much risk with respect to uh, to the uh, not knowing uh, what the actual safety performance is of of, uh, of a particular vehicle type, as opposed to a manufacturer who's tested it and a manufacturer who now has data streams from these vehicles that is that is so infinitely better than any of the other data streams that's ever been available in terms of both the performance the, uh, of these vehicles um, under normal and, and abnormal and crash situations so that, so that in fact, he has a, a, a complete, um, uh, he, he has the information on which to make uh, really intelligent uh, pricing decisions. And whenever you have that, then that's a business opportunity and um, God bless them. Yeah, lots of insurance companies uh, are out with uh, the devices that plug into your car that give them feedback and offer you better rates if you opt in for that. Tesla's got it built in, right? Yeah, he he has it built in, but he also has the control of the systems that go out there and actually um, uh, override uh, what, a, what a driver or assisted driver, whereas uh, what the others have in terms of, of those devices is that they only have the willingness of the driver to behave more uh, when they're driving as, as opposed to misbehaving. And I, 
And I think that the data are showing that, that uh, while uh, at the beginning of such programs, uh, you know, uh, drivers change their behavior, uh, but it doesn't take them very long to just revert back to what their their normal behavior is. And so what you need is you need more than just trying to, you of course need to have the driver uh, behave better um, in their driving, but also I think you need the systems to, that that will assist the driver and and basically bail the driver out uh, whenever they start getting themselves into situations that that lead to crashes, and um, and I think that that's that's what the important tie-in of what Elon's doing is is uh, you know he's putting in the technology that begins to do that and capturing the data to look to really assess um, how good or bad or indifferent it all is and therefore. Um, he should be able to make the, the best pricing decisions in terms of the insurance. So and I think it's brilliant. And, and I assume uh, Tesla drivers in other states are going to be clamoring for this as well. I, I, I would imagine. I would imagine. I mean, I've even suggested that, that you know, uh, that of course, insurance is then, is then based on whether or not uh, uh, the autopilot gets turned on on your vehicle. Well, GM's cruises out with a community newsletter highlighting the number of test miles driven around San Francisco. Pretty interesting stuff, this newsletter. I think so. And the reason why I included it is because in the end, if we're if we're really going to get to driverless mobility as a service, and if we're really if that's really one of the places where we need to to, to go or would like to go, and I think that's the place where we'd like to go. Uh, then, then the community is going to have to accept these things. So it's not only the, the customers who are going to use it that, that, that are going to have to accept these, but, but the neighborhoods that these vehicles are going to travel down. And, and, and the place, uh, because where do people come from? They come from and go to neighborhoods and, and, and streets. And, and, and it's not, it, it, it's, it's not going to be the wild, wild west. Look at what's happening to scooters. I mean, look at what happened in San Diego with scooters. One thought, oh my goodness, this is a new mobility for all the millennials. And, um, you know, now they won't need cars or something like that. It's turning out to be a, just a nightmare. Why? Because, because these, these vehicles have community impact. And if the community isn't welcoming, if, 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 if we don't want these driving down our streets, because we're afraid that they're going to run over our children or who knows what, be invaders from whatever or something or, or, or not providing any societal good or who knows why. And guess what? Uh, people will be able to throw monkey wrenches into these things and, and, and they won't happen. So, so the, the, the community, the neighborhood, the the streets, the, the, the not-in-my-backyard folks need to be brought in and, and at the very beginning uh, to say, hey, uh, what would you welcome? What would be nice? Uh, what does improve your quality of life? Uh, what would you welcome into your community? And that has to play into the now the, the design, the technology, the equations, the deep learning, and all the other stuff that goes on with this. So it's, it's, it's not a, just a technological revolution. This is a sociological revolution. This is, a, this is supposed to improve the quality of people's lives. And therefore, it has to include the neighborhoods. And, 
And so, you know, over the past 10 years, what have we spent, you know, 100 billion you know, on the technology? How much have we spent on the neighborhoods, on the people, on, 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 on the customers who, who, are, who are supposed to uh, gain value out of this? Uh, <laughs> probably not even a billion, maybe not even 100, maybe not even a million. So it's nice to see crews out there at least trying to do it. And as we talked with the... Um, uh, last week about with respect to San Jose, the big, you know, Daimler and, 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 and same San Jose having some community meetings, the things we're trying to do here in central Jersey to again, uh, create a welcoming uh, by the, uh, by the neighborhoods that are going to be, uh, that are going to be the, 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 uh, the streets that these systems are going to use and, and they have to be brought into the, into the 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 mix um, um, early because if they're not brought in early, guess what? Uh, it isn't going to happen. You know, and the newsletter also talked about Human Made, a local nonprofit designed to connect historically underserved communities in San Francisco to the modern economy through education and skills. This is reading what they're saying uh, through education and skills training in advanced manufacturing. And Cruz is a founding partner. So they're essentially letting people know, hey, we're good guys here. Yeah, well, it's not just that they're good guys, but in fact, yeah, they're trying to be good guys. They're trying to provide a technology that's going to improve quality of life. Uh, that's, I guess, the definition of a good guy. And, and but but it has to be done. It has to be at the level uh, uh, to be perceived to be good by the people that are actually going to have to put up with it, as well as the people that are actually going to consume it. And so it's both of those groups, the people that have to put up with it and the people that have to consume it. And, you know, some people call this public relations or marketing or whatever. It's, it's, just, it's just good business. And along the same lines, in the latest newsletter, you talk about a paper from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and Metro Lab Network, and it's titled uh, Exploring Civic Innovation. And they talk about a variety of efforts in half a dozen cities, you found some lessons to be learned there as well. Yeah, and so and Bill and Melinda, you know, are, have sort of taken their wealth and, and focused it in this area. And I think it's it's a very good focus. And, and actually, you know, yesterday we just submitted the National Science Foundation a proposal here at Princeton. They, again, you know, look at, at, at the, 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 the sociological, the, the welcoming aspect, the neighborhood aspect of, of the technology, because otherwise we're going to have a mess just like what we have with scooters today. You know, scooters could be really good. Bicycles, you know, uh, shared bikes are really good. But my goodness, the execution has been, in terms of the communities, has been um, horrible. And uh, Kristen, maybe you want to talk a little bit about that. I mean, J.D. Power has a role to play, I suppose, in educating the public in, in the work that, that you do there. We do. Um, so... Part of this initiative, um, you know, we've been going down the pathway of uh, recognizing the level of consumer confusion out there with technology. So we've been working with several other large companies. We'll be making an announcement here in October about some looking at names and definitions and helping to improve this level of um, confusion that is out there so that consumers understand truly the capability of their systems, et cetera. So yes, we do have an, a role to play in 
the public in being able to help these technologies succeed and help bridge the gap that consumers are experiencing. So um, the type of research we do is, is both for the public as well as for the manufacturers to take action. Yeah, and it is for the manufacturers because the manufacturers need to pay attention to what the public is doing. And the two of them, two of us, we all have to play together on this one. You know, some of us who sit there and write the code and and do the and do the equations and the theories on this stuff. Sometimes, you know, we kind of go down the primrose path and so on. And, and all of a sudden, oh my goodness, we weren't paying attention. And and so I think it's 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 good for everybody. Absolutely. Or, or we think about it from, you know, an expert perspective or just the way engineers think is many times very different than a general user population. Come on, I'm an engineer. So, I mean, come on. I am, I am as well. And I take great pride in that. But I do recognize that I think differently than uh, Everyone's, the every, every once in a while we sort of go out there, don't we? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So this is, you know, this is the point about um, kind of getting out of your own head, just how, you know, how you use and interact with technology doesn't mean that's the way everyone uses it. I think that's where the research is so important to recognize the diversity of thought and approach for interaction with these technologies, as well as what consumers want with these different mobility solutions going forward. Yep. Well, move, moving on, uh, a serious topic here. A Lyft is facing a lawsuit uh, filed by 14 alleged victims who say they've been sexually assaulted by drivers, and the company is accused here of failing to respond adequately. Hard to comment about legal cases, Alan, but... Yeah, no, I mean, uh, look, it's tough out there. I mean, th- th- these are these are really difficult situations. And of course, one doesn't want all that stuff. But, you know, uh, hey, we're dealing with we're dealing with uh, with humans that, that, and, and human behavior. And it's really tough. And so um, uh, one has to deal with it. It, it certainly would uh, would be much it'd be trivial if everybody behaved. Uh, but not everybody behaves, and so therefore, um, uh, trying to bring all this in, in, to uh, society um, is really tough. And this just points out that um, you know nothing's easy, but um, but we'll get through it. And, and what we all have to do is just uh, you know work hard and try to pay attention every day. Yeah, and it, it also ties in with the the acceptance long term of 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 ride sharing which is really what makes this whole thing work in in the long run well, you know I, I you know a lot of us keep saying ride sharing is the answer you know uh, you know you, you want you want a mobility for individuals that's quality of life but you know if we all just wrap ourselves around you know too much metal and use too much uh, too much resources uh, for ourselves when we could actually be sharing it uh, everybody would be better off but uh, but uh, that whole sharing business, we all have to play well in, in, in that playpen together. And, uh, and that's, that's non-trivial. And, and how to do that and do that well, um, doing it perfectly, uh, that's not, well, I, of course, I'm a perfectionist, but, you know, it's not possible. But to do it well, uh, that's what we should be trying to do. And, and when we run into the, the hiccups, we should fix them uh, as fast as we can and, and move on and try to make sure it doesn't happen again. 
And finally, uh, CNET's Roadshow is out with a piece on how Ford is combating the problem of smashed bugs interfering with cameras and sensors on vehicles. Uh, they're using washer nozzles and air curtains. Some, hey, some old know. world tech, huh? Hey, windshield wipers, you know? I mean, you know, it's not a new problem. It's not a new problem. And, of course, uh, that's, you know, one of the reasons why you might have uh, some redundancies so that if, you know, probability that, that bugs hit both things that, you know, is low and so on. But, and then you have to pull over and you're going to have to clean it. Um, and, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, windshield washers. Well, yes, right. Exactly. Tough. You've things got not just bugs, you've got slush, you've got mud, you've got lots of things to yeah, potentially uh, contend uh, Yeah, right. And at some point you pull over um, and you say, okay, um, uh, time out. And the sensors, uh, and the hey, sensors mother, maybe have to tell you. <laughs> yeah. Mother nature is tough, boy. She is, she is tough. <laughs> if she wasn't so tough, that everything would be easy. <laughs> and that will do it for this edition. We want to thank Kristen Kolodge of JD Power for joining in. Kristen, is there a site where people can follow the work that you're doing? There is. Um, you can go to jdpower.com. Uh, you can find my contact information there as well. So it's a great, great source for all the different types of research that we're doing. And it's just been a pleasure being on here with both of you today. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you. And thank you for all the good work that J.D. Power is doing. You can find us at smartdrivingcar.com. Also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and more. Ask your smart speaker to play us. You can find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you so much for listening.